0: this is mouth media network covering the business of lifestyle it's just very interesting because i i remember in the past talking to you know chef friends of mine and things like that and thinking about like my future and where i want to go in this industry and i've always said i don't think my story is that interesting but when i saw my story in paper i'm like that's That's actually really cool and interesting. Like, if I read this about someone else, I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. And they've been through so much and all this stuff. And it's it's interesting how we don't necessarily think of ourselves as interesting. (laughs) Anyone who
1: knows pastry knows not everyone can make pastry. Very few can make it well. And just a select group of special culinary craftspeople do it at a very high level. One of those people is Jessica Craig pastry chef for the prominent restaurant Lartusi in New York. Her star is rising fast, and she's even been featured in Essence magazine and the Michelin Guide. She's also one of the very few women of color working in the kitchens of fine dining restaurants in America. It's no wonder she accepts the challenge of succeeding as a role model and has plans to build a bit of an empire. Coming up, you'll hear whether you can really make it in a restaurant without going to cooking school. The challenges Jessica has faced in getting to her current place in the food world. How her love of salty meat sweet and how her childhood memories of sweets have influenced a career. How her background in Jamaican food is antithetical to her current cuisine. And why a New York Times feature story about Christmas and being one of nine children impacts her professionally. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Jessica, you are a pastry chef at a, a very famous restaurant in New York called L'Artuzzi. Um, But your background is, you're from Jamaica. So I was wondering what ingredients and how does your kind of uh, repertoire from home uh, enter into a more classic kind of Italian repertoire? Are you using sorrel, for example, or hibiscus or uh,
0: ingredients that may be native to Jamaica in some of your pastries? Well, It's funny because it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that sorrel was hibiscus. (laughs) I always thought it was like this magical ingredient. I'm like, how do they get it so red? This is crazy. (laughs) And then I realized like, wow, this is hibiscus flowers. (laughs) Um, But I mean, as far as me incorporating my Jamaican background into what it is I do... Um, I'm definitely spice heavy as far as like um, different jams and uh, recipes that I come up with, like allspice, which is so not traditional Italian. is something that I use all the time in my cooking as well as ginger. Ginger is another one that I like to use a lot. And um, we actually used hibiscus over last summer um, for a dessert. And that was actually my sous chef's idea. Um, and I think it was around that time that I actually <laughs> realized that sorrel was hibiscus flower. Well, you know, sorrel is a confusing word because
1: sorrel actually um, is also in a, kind of a lettuce herb.
0: Exactly. Um, and that's where I found the confusion because like no knowing... A weed. I guess maybe a sorrel kind of a... A, a weed. We'll yeah. have to look that up exactly what it is. But um, I think it yes. might be an herb, but like it, it that can be confusing because there's definitely a lot of words in Jamaican Patois that when you translate it over to, like, normal English, where it's just like, okay, this has a double meaning, and i got to figure out what the meaning is in both languages. (laughs) Right.
1: So were you given any mandate at uh, L'Artuzzi, the Italian restaurant, in terms of what your uh, repertoire of pastries should be? Because, you know, Italian desserts are very specific, right? And maybe there's not even a really large repertoire of them. So what uh, was on the menu before you got there, and what changes have you made?
0: Um, well, the one dessert that I'm not allowed to touch, which um, (laughs) I thought you were going to say, you're not allowed to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, that I, I feel like I've been given permission to tweak a little bit, which I still haven't like quite figured out how to tweak it just yet in such a way that it's not a shock to the system to all of our customers is the olive oil cake, because it's just, it's been on the menu since day one and everyone Comes in and requests that one dessert. That's our number one seller. The olive oil cake. For sure. Hands down is our number one seller. Um, Can that, you describe it for me? Yeah, it's a super moist um, olive oil cake that's, I mean, it's, it's eggs, flour, um, olive oil, um, pinch of salt, and there is also Madeira in Madeira. it as mm. well. And then um, we bake it into a pan and we just simply cut slices out of it. It gets dusted with powdered sugar. And then we serve it with our raisin marmalade and whipped creme fraiche. Ooh, does that sound good? Mm -hmm. It's super simple,
1: but it's definitely delicious. And you said a raisin marmalade? Yes. So are you starting, are you making this from, because I know you'd like to make preserves and jams i've been reading a lot about you Yes, but do you start with
0: favorite. grapes or with raisins uh, actually? With, actu- with raisins mm-hmm. um and the raisins are soaked in a um again madeira um there's a little bit of Grand marnier in there mm. a little bit of lemon um and that syrup so the raisins um absorb that syrup and then it has like that flavor and uh pairs well with the olive oil well cake yeah and you mentioned pears, and I'm thinking
1: it would go nicely with pears too. That would be very oh, nice sure. <laughs> <laughs> to go with that. Okay, so that was that was the untouchable dessert. Yes, it but, has not been touched. But yet. they hired you because they wanted your you know brilliance and creativity. So yes. so bring it on. Let me hear what else you're doing.
0: Um, another dessert that we used, like we kind of swapped out. Um, we used to have a hazelnut torta, which now we, in replacement of that, we have a salted chocolate cake. Mm. So the salted chocolate cake is layers of devil's food cake with chocolate mousse, and then we serve it with a salted caramel, and then a scoop of bourbon gelato, and then caramel popcorn.
1: Wow. Okay. So the fact that this doesn't feel or sound so Italian, I think it's okay, because L'Artuzzi is considered a more kind of uh, modernistic, contemporary, yes. contemporary Italian yes. restaurant. Um, do you know a little bit about L'Artuzzi or Artuzzi? Pellegrino Artusi, the man who that restaurant is named for? I I actually don't. Yeah. Well, you know, I really didn't either, except (laughs) to know that Artusi is a very famous name, not quite as famous as Escoffier or some Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, Brillat Savarin or some of the people from the sort of – culinary past. But what fascinated me, and you know, this show is called One Woman Kitchen. So I'm very into th- making discoveries about women behind the scenes. And it turns out that uh, Artusi was a businessman, but also kind of an amateur cook, but fascinated and really passionate about uh, food and cooking, and wrote a very, very important cookbook called The Science, um, I think The Science in the Kitchen and the Art of Eating Well. And um At the time, there wasn't that much interest in it, and he actually wound up self-publishing it, but I just read that the person who was really behind him was his cook, and she was Marietta, and she was 18, and I believe cooked for him for 13 years, so these were probably mostly her recipes, and uh, really never got credit. So I wanted to share that with you, and you might want to put a dessert on your menu in honor of Marietta. For sure. Okay, so... I'm definitely going to dig deeper into that, for sure. And uh, we'll talk more about that. You'll yeah. tell me what you come up with and uh, how you go about that. Yeah. But actually, Jessica, that makes me want to ask you about your own creative process. Uh, here's your assignment. I want you to make a dish in honor of dessert in honor of Marietta. How do you start thinking about it? How do you go
0: about creating ideas? I think the way that... I typically typically go about things because clearly I'm not Italian. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed, but um, <laughs> I usually like to research. Like, I, I love information. I love, like, mm. knowledge. And so the first thing I would do is try to dig up as much information on her as possible. Um, like, her food history. Like, what was she really into? Uh, maybe I would try to find like old recipes of hers and like maybe do a modernistic twist on those recipes or something along those lines. That's definitely how I would approach it for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Because I think, uh, you know, we, it's a very interesting time in the restaurant world and, you know, all this stuff with me too. And I really believe that women are believing in their own power and really trying to embolden each other and become part of a sisterhood. And, uh, you know, I've been a chef for 40 years, so I'm part of the older sisterhood. But part of this show is really about – The intergenerational uh, sharing, and uh, that's why I was so excited for you to come today. So your story is a great one, and again, one woman uh, kitchen—it's kind of a metaphor because I believe we all are one woman kitchens. We're creating our own path in this, you know, fabulous, crazy industry. So, um, but you're kind of already at the top of your game, and you're only in your
0: early thirties. So, tell us a little bit about your your journey. Oh, um, wow! Like this. In all honesty, this whole thing has been like a dream of mine for the longest time. And the fact that it's happening and it's unfolding, it's just mind blowing <laughs> and humbling at the same time. Uh, most of my career has actually been on Long Island. Um, I started off going to culinary school and I worked um Garmage on um, most most of the jobs that I had, um, until I started working at uh Garden City Hotel, um, in Nassau County and then That was when I got my first taste of like serious, intense pastry, like making petit fours, um, plating, learning how to make a souffle because we made a souffle on the menu where we had to make the batter every day. And um, yeah, everything had to be on par. And from there, I bounced around um, to different restaurants doing pastry and then Most recently, I worked at Nick and Tony's in East Hampton. Ah, okay. So once I got there, because I kind of hit a wall where it was just like, okay, it's either I work in the Hamptons or I work in NYC. Mm -hmm. And NYC wasn't quite planning out because I felt like I was judged for being from Long Island. Um, at least that's my humble opinion. I felt like people were just like, "Oh, this Long, Long Island girl trying to get into NYC into you're our not, restaurant." You're not wrong about that. <laughs> I know. There's, it, even though it's
1: only 11 miles from one from the other, uh, there is a kind of a reputation about New York City versus
0: a lot of other places, not just Long Island. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, hear I felt you. <laughs> like I was getting judged hard for for being from there. I, I still do, but. And um, yet the Garden City
1: Hotel is a very, very well-respected hotel. And I'm sure you got great training there too. Oh, yes. And Nick and Tony's, of course, is a very well-known restaurant. Definitely. So, <laughs> so
0: I started there. Um, that was my first pastry sous chef job. And um, I did that for half my time there. So maybe about two and a half years, was pastry sous. And there was this summer where we didn't have a pastry chef. And I remember I kept running from the position because I remember the – Corporate chef was just like, Hey, Jessica, how do you feel about taking on the position? I'm like, No, you need to find a pastry chef. I, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I can hold it down until you find one, but like, no. And I remember doing it that whole summer. And then he pulled me to the side again. And then he was just like, Jessica, we went through a whole season and you did it. Wow. And you did it well. So someone else believed in you before you believed in you.
1: Yes, and it was a guy. Yes. <laughs> okay, this is great. Yes,
0: um, he—he's an amazing guy, Joe Realmudo. He's like amazing, and he looked at me again. He's like, "So, Jess, I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> would you like to do this position?" And then I looked at him, and I'm like, "I have to admit, I loved it. I do want to do it." Oh, so, that's wonderful. So then I took on the executive pastry uh, chef position out there, um, overseeing five restaurants.
1: I had no idea. Yeah. So Nick and Tony's is part of a, a, a restaurant group with yes. five restaurants. Um, wow. Now
0: four. I think they're working on a fifth again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most of the locations were – like four locations were out in the Hamptons, spread out. And then there was one on the Upper West Side, Nick and Tony's Cafe. And um, Nick and Tony's Cafe closed maybe, I want to say, about two years ago because, mm-hmm. um, you know, rents and all that. The costs of oh, – holding a restaurant open. Well, I really appreciate your sharing your fear <laughs> about,
1: ta- <laughs> about taking this
0: on because this is
1: scary it's super uh, to do scary. something new, so completely new and have this kind of responsibility.
0: It was a huge responsibility. And I also watched the previous pastry chefs before me, not necessarily fail at it, but like it was super stressful and it weighed heavy on them. Um, but for whatever reason, I was able to take it on. And a huge part of the reason why I left it wasn't because I didn't love them because it was a great family of people that I worked with. It was like I could do it in my sleep, and mm-hmm. so I was ready to move on to a new a new challenge, believe it or not, after taking care of so my how, restaurants. How long do you think it take mastery does
1: take in that sense in a restaurant situation? so after was it two or three years that you felt that you had kind of done it? all and and it was just becoming kind of routine and maybe even some of the passion and creativity starts to dissipate. Um for sure
0: I I would say within the realm of maybe like 4 years because as pastry sue I was kind of doing the pastry chef role if let's say my chef went on vacation I was kind of taking it on um cuz the first pastry chef I worked under at Nick and Tony's the first time she went on vacation and this this is actually a funny story because She turned to me, and I think I had only been there like a month. And she was like, okay, well, I'm going on vacation. And I'm like, okay. And then (laughs) she left. And I was like in tears because I'm like, there were so many things you have to keep track of. And if you're not used to that, I'm just like, I... And and I think she called like halfway through her vacation to check in on me, and I was like near tears. And I'm like, I don't understand how you do this. Like Ed is like driving me crazy, and he won't order on time, and he comes here and he's trying to take the chocolate sauce, and I don't know how to keep track of all the things and the costing. And she was just like, Jessica, it's okay, it's okay, I'll be back soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, you you succeeded, and you you exactly you really thrived. Um, was there any time in during that experience or any other experience, even today, that you uh, really screwed up um, with either, a, a, you know, service? Because I know it's very, very – these restaurants are incredibly busy and you're doing hundreds of desserts and plating and there's hot stuff and cold stuff and dessert. The dessert station is really hard to put together. So can
0: you share a, maybe a, an almost disastrous experience you've had? <laughs> um Thankfully, knock on wood, I, I've been super duper lucky, and I'm also very anal retentive in the fact that like I have lists on top of my lists. But this there's one particular time at Lartuzzi, we actually had a flourless chocolate cake that was for I can't remember if it was for a party or for a table, and I it slipped through the cracks, and service started, and I need to make a cake happen. So <laughs> oh. I got this cake in the oven, it baked. And then I put it in the freezer, and I'm like, oh, God, we don't have a blast freezer. Okay, I, I got to make this happen because the thing gets glazed. Mm. And so, like, I need it cold enough to get, like, a proper glaze on this thing, but it was still hot. <laughs> and I remember, like, management and servers coming over, repeated like, is the cake ready? Is the cake ready? I'm like, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. Like, it, it that was horrible. <laughs> oh. And thankfully, I stayed late enough that I helped the plater to cut that cake because it was – Oozing. It was. It was a it was a molten cake. It was a molten cake and it was not what it should have been. And um thankfully that and in the grand scheme of things, that's not horrible, but thankfully that was like probably the biggest Well, that says a lot about your
1: skill set. <laughs> that was the biggest, you know, almost disaster that that you had. So um so congratulations on that. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Coming up, you'll hear Jessica visit or revisit the kitchen of her childhood, and you'll hear how she first became so passionate about her profession. Falls, unfold, has
0: cast a spell inside
1: my Here's a cooking tip to share so many people are keeping gluten-free diets these days that it's really important to have some substitutes in your house. I always use roasted chickpea flour and I add it to soups and I use it for cookies and baking. This is the easiest cookie recipe in the world, chickpea flour shortbread. You take one cup of unsalted butter at room temperature, one cup of confectioner's sugar, and two cups of roasted chickpea flour. Using an electric mixer, you beat it all together until it forms a smooth dough. Roll into a half an inch thick round, wrap in plastic and refrigerate for 30 minutes. Roll out thinly and cut into cookie shapes. Bake for 25 minutes at 300 degrees. Let cool and sprinkle with confectioner sugar. That's it. They're delicious. And gluten free. From my kitchen to yours. Give it a try and pass it along. So, Jessica, let's uh, use the time machine and go back to the kitchen of your childhood.
0: Tell us about that. Uh, growing up, my mom was always cooking, regardless of how much she worked. She was always um, making dinner. Um, and, and where it, was that? Let's set the time in place. Oh, for sure. So uh, we're talking like 90s in Central Islip, Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to private school. My whole tenure of school, um, but my mom always worked multiple jobs and she may not have cooked a home cooked dinner um, every single day of the week, most days, but not necessarily every single day of the week. Sometimes we got takeout, sometimes, you know, maybe like a frozen dinner or something, but every single Sunday there was rice and peas and a protein and the protein varied from curried goat, curry chicken, Mm. um, stewed chicken. Um, oxtails, um, escovitch fish. Uh, I'm trying to think of like other things that she would cook. So your mother, you come
1: from a Jamaican background. Yes. And your mother um, grew up in Jamaica. Yes. And so this is her style of cooking. For sure. So on Sunday, she made sure
0: that she brought the taste of her home into your home. For sure. In Long she Island. cooked almost nothing American. I think the most American thing that she would make was probably um what was that stuff called? Beefaroni? <laughs> but even then, oh, yeah, that still really had a Jamaican American. twist to it. It was like super spiced up. Like, Is that right? Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, that's very that's very cool. But she wasn't just cooking for you. Do I understand that you had quite a few brothers and sisters?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, my mom had nine kids and my father remarried and had another, like another two kids. So I'm one of 11. That's remarkable. And
1: these Sunday gatherings, it was all of you together?
0: Um, not necessarily. A lot of times, yes. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily because this one might be working. That one might be working. Like it, it's it's usually a revolving door even to this day <laughs> where um, I'm usually off Sunday Mondays. So I'll stop by my mom's house and... My favorite is if I text my little sisters because my younger sisters still live at home. And I'm just like, what's a mom cook? And they're like, they cook. She cooks the same thing every Sunday. I don't understand (laughs) why you're asking. To which I'm like, what protein?
1: (laughs) Uh. Well, it's funny you mentioned all of this, um, you know, curry goat and curry chicken. And Can you tell me a little bit about Jamaican curry? Because it's very different than what Americans consider curry or many other cultures
0: consider. It seems like many cultures have their own version of what curry is. Well, it's funny because the curry that my mom likes to use, believe it or not, is actually an Indian curry. Mm -hmm. So So um, I think what makes it different is the type of spices that we add to it. Um, My mom uses a lot of um, scotch bonnet, like the super spicy. That's super hot. Yeah. She uses that pepper a lot. So um, I remember growing up, she actually kept scotch bonnet peppers in a jar full of like white vinegar. And we were told never touch that jar unless Mm. you wanted like... You know, your hands to combust into flames. Like, don't do not (laughs) (laughs) touch this jar um, ever. And even when she handled the peppers, like, she would put on, like, gloves and, like, cut it a certain way. And she would usually add it to um, her curried goat or curry chicken and um, sometimes to rice. Like, um, just a small piece just, I guess, to add, like, a little edge to it. Mm. So I I think it's the heavy um, heat that makes the Jamaican curry a little different than
1: most other curries. Right. And what about certain ingredients? Because I know that there are certain fruits and vegetables that are part of sort of the Jamaican uh, repertoire. Are they easy for your mom to find? Certain kinds of greens and um, Um, aki. What is aki? Aki is a fruit, right? Aki is a fruit. With salt cod? That's kind of a combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So aki is the national um, fruit or even the national food of Jamaica. So... Um, It grows on a tree and, like, um it's hard to explain in, like, this pod kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when it's ripe, it opens because if it's closed, it it's poisonous. Really? Yes. So it, it opens and I guess the poisons and toxins naturally, like, leak out from, like, the natural ripening. Mm-hmm. And, um... It's usually served uh, with sautéed onion, tomato, and then um, salt cod. That's been – it depends. Everyone's method is different. My mom boils her salted cod, mm-hmm. whereas some people might soak it for like a day and then use it after like a good soaking. Um, and then all that's put together and sautéed, and that's a typical Jamaican breakfast.
1: Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. I Vintage Jamaica, only once. Just loved it. Loved loved it.
0: Loved the food. Um, like proper like Aki like – ripe off the tree mm-hmm. is completely different because like you can get it canned in the states right but it's just not the same no i mean it's and i like, a lot it of fresh, so. produce like unless you get it, like ripe straight from the source like it ripe straight off the tree it's it's hard to explain and mm-hmm. and even aki itself like a lot of like if you go to jamaica and they try to explain what it is they'll compare it to scrambled eggs but it's not no. it's it's its own thing yes Thank you for
1: reminding me (laughs) (laughs) of the scrambled egg quality that it had. Uh, You know, I'm feeling a little envious, by the way. Maybe this is going to surprise you. But I grew up in a tiny, tiny family. So Mm. my fantasy of, you know, a good, happy life was this kind of revolving door of people in and out of my mother's kitchen. Um, so how wonderful that you had that and that you still have little sisters at home. I think what I'm curious about is I'm hearing that your mother was such an amazing cook, sort of the savory part of cooking. Uh, but here you are a pastry chef. So <laughs> what made you fall in love with pastry? Do you remember the first dessert
0: you ever had? Um,
1: yeah, yeah, How did this come
0: about? I'm not sure if I remember the very first dessert I ever have, but I have like very two specific childhood dessert memories. Mm. And one was when we were visiting my uncle in Canada. And I remember we were sitting in a park and there was like an ice cream truck set up. And there I saw people walking by with these ice cream sandwiches with like um, toasted waffles And I remember asking my mom for one. I was like, I'm looking at these people. I'm like, this looks so delicious. I was like, (laughs) can I have one? Can I have one? My mom kept telling me no. And my uncle just looked at me. He's like, "Uh, just let her have it. (laughs) Just like if she doesn't eat it, then I'll eat it. Like, just let her have it. I scarfed that thing down. Like, I just remember the warmth of the the waffle and then the Mm. vanilla ice cream. And that's definitely like a food memory that I'll never forget because the flavors were so simple. But it was Mm. something I had never had before. And it just looked so enticing to me, and I just wanted it so bad. But interesting, too, that you were really very aware of the um, temperature,
1: mm-hmm. the texture, yeah. kind of the contrast, so that you were very discerning, even at a very young age. Yes, I, I was a food snob from a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you used the word snob. I just said discerning, but snob is <laughs> snob is good, too.
0: And you mentioned there was a second one, another yeah, dessert so, memory. Um, there's a food chain through um, Long Island, I'm sure, like other suburban areas has like friendlies. So mm-hmm. oh, sure. the friendlies restaurant chain. And I remember being there with my brother and a server walked by with this huge bowl with a Reese's buttercup Sunday. <laughs> and it went by me and I, I don't even think I ordered food yet. I, I like saw it go by and I was like, Can I have that? And he's like, eat your food first. And I'm like, okay. And I ate all my food and and <laughs> I don't even think the server barely even asked me what I wanted for <laughs> dessert. I was like, Can I have a Sunday? And oh God, I just, I do, I love peanut butter and chocolate and now I can add bananas to that. Like it's, it's so good, but at the same time, it's a flavor profile that my mom didn't inherently give to us because it's Mm -hmm. not a Jamaican pairing as far as like putting peanut butter with chocolate and stuff like that. So um, that's another food memory where like... I do. From time to time, I'll try to come up with some kind of chocolate peanut butter dessert. <laughs> uh-huh. And did you ever try anything with the waffles? <laughs> um, the waffles and ice cream? No, but that's just due to logistics of places where I've worked. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the only reason why. I don't know. I feel now maybe because of this
1: um, awakening that maybe or juicy, there might be some interesting kind of crispy waffle gelato thing on the horizon. Maybe we can add that to our brunch (laughs) repertoire. (laughs) Wonderful. So um, there are so many people I think have a fantasy about getting involved in the food world and and don't really know how to go about it. So what, what would you suggest for a young woman who had similar... Uh, fantasies and and desires like you
0: how to get started um see that's i feel like that's a complex um answer to that because mm-hmm. culinary school pastry school it's so expensive now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it it kind of turned a tide in expense where i would not recommend someone go to school only because it is so much money and when you get out of school you're making minimum wage you know what I mean? Like you're not you're not going to see any return on that for a very long time. So I would actually recommend getting a job and and like maybe eating out and finding and doing your research and researching chefs and and maybe finding somewhere where you can possibly have a mentor to learn all the things because you don't necessarily have to go to school to learn how To cook, to be honest, because that's how all the great chefs became who they are by working and learning on the job and not necessarily from school. Um, And I'm sure all the schools, if they ever hear this, will probably get really upset with me. But it's really expensive. Jessica, I so appreciate
1: your sharing that feeling. Um, Again, I've been, you know, cooking for for 40 years. And the first food revolution, I think, really in America really happened in the mid-1970s, maybe even a little earlier in California. And I have to say at the time that most cooking schools, there weren't that many. There Mm are far more now. But there were no women yeah. In cooking schools. There were, there were believe it or not, in the 30s and 40s, and then women were not allowed in for decades. And then slowly, schools would start allowing women to come in. It's a very complex history about it. But in the 70s, uh, many of us went to college and then after college started started cooking. And we did not go to cooking school. So we did just exactly what you said. We would find um, a, a mentor. We would go to a restaurant we really liked. Uh, very often work for nothing. I certainly did. And um, and that's how we learned. So I really appreciate your saying that, that it is uh, an option. Um, I don't think you can work in a restaurant now and not get paid. You know, once upon a time, you could kind of intern. Yeah. So these rules are changing. And I think that's a good thing. Um, there really shouldn't be any free, free labor. But um, so thank you very much for that for that advice. And that what what
0: school did you go to? Um, I went to New York Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. I did their um culinary arts program, and then I stayed an additional two years to get my bachelor's in hospitality management.
1: Wonderful. So you're I mean, so you have a broad range of uh, experience in education, but I think the way you really learn to cook is by cooking. Oh, and for the way sure. you learn is to learn from
0: a great teacher. I mean, even thinking about my own experience and the fact that I went to culinary school, And even when I decided to do pastry, I decided to find a great pastry kitchen to work in instead of going back to school and then, like, incurring more debt. I mean, and even when I graduated from school, like, my debt was actually not that bad because my first couple years I had, like, decent scholarships and things. And then I really didn't need a a loan until my second year. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, (laughs) the the debt that I graduated with was – since. Definitely insignificant in comparison to the debt that I find out these kids have when they graduate school now, right? And also for you know medical school and law school. So, yeah. but I do
1: think that the food world actually offers the opportunity to uh, still have a successful career and not. But um, I don't think you have to make a choice because you are a good example for school because you you are very experienced and you've had a lot of success. But one can also have success. I think you're saying by staging or uh, just not going to cooking school and just working in a kitchen. Um, so it's so interesting. I am a cook and I'm afraid of pastry. I am <laughs> I know how to make one cake and that's it. <laughs> and actually, strangely, it's an olive oil cake. So we can share our recipes later. But um, is there anything that you haven't made in in pastry that frightens you a little bit? I mean, do you make homemade strudel do you make croquembouche do you make your own puff pastry <gasps> um has are you are you defeated by anything in the, in pastry
0: well it's funny that you asked that because like i feel like i've in my career done most things but clearly i haven't done everything um i would definitely love how to learn how to do um sugar work yes even chocolate work um, most recently, we were um, trying to do patafli <laughs> for uh, our assorted dolce at Lartuzzi. And my sous chef made a batch before she went on vacation. And so I didn't get her recipe from her before she left. And so I had like a recipe from a restaurant I worked at like a while back and then I was trying to execute it and it was not coming out like hers <laughs> and I I think I attempted it upwards of 3 to 4 times and it was not coming out right like mm. the last few batches I did came out better but just not the same where the patch of we should be able to be kept at room temperature because at room temperature it would just kind of ooze, ooze and <laughs> so um definitely candy work candy work and maybe um, working on making like chocolates and things like that is something that I'm not super versed in. But that also speaks to a lot of places I've worked at that wasn't really a necessity. So, you know, like even when I was working at La Verde, that was the first restaurant I worked at where I had to learn how to do croissants and danishes because had I not worked there, I would have never had experience with that. So like it, it just depends on the parameters of each restaurant as far as like knowing how to do certain things well this is actually wonderful news for you right because there's <laughs> still a, a big
1: frontier for you and, and new things to learn because you're still pretty young
0: no it's true <laughs> and you. even things to brush back up on like that maybe i've stepped away from that i'm just like oh i haven't done this in such a long time and you know like you it's like riding a bike you like you forget but once you start to do it again then it comes back to you thank you
1: Coming up, you'll hear Jessica's legacy recipe, and her views about what life is like for women in the culinary world. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold, and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. So, Jessica, as a young woman, a woman, and a woman of color, I know it's really important for you to to be a role model. So tell me a little bit about your vision or your thoughts about what's happening in the culinary landscape right now.
0: Um, I feel like it's it's very complex. I feel like right now we're getting to a better place for sure um but I feel like there's a lot. Of work still that needs to get done um I I I feel like it depends on where you're looking because I feel like with a lot of the bigger restaurant groups it's definitely a boys club um and it's definitely a white boys club (laughs) um but with that being said um I was lucky enough to find the restaurant group I work for now where like everyone is a lot more diverse as far as like women, um, as far like different cultures. Um, you know, like if you look at our staff from hourly to salary, like there's, there's just such a variety. Um, and that was definitely what attracted me to Lartuzzi and Epicurean group for sure. Um, but as far as trying to be a role model, I just, I try my best to take on, as many um articles as possible um try to take on as many things to get my face out there and it's and anyone who's close to me and who knows me I do not like the spotlight I hate the spotlight however I know what it's like to look for a mentor and not have that mentor mm-hmm. and even recently when um the essence article that was released about me and all the feedback that I still get where like a random person might message me on Instagram or Facebook and be like, Oh, I read the article. You're such an inspiration. Mm -hmm. You make me want to go to pastry school and pursue my passion. And that, that is huge. And it's, it's leaps and bounds. And that just kind of confirms and affirms like my thought process and why I do what I do. I mean, yes, I love doing pastry. Um, I like being part of the kitchen that most people are afraid of because, in a lot of ways, that's power. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, I, I I do I enjoy being an inspiration to others to possibly pursue pursue a passion that they may not have seen themselves in before because they didn't see anyone else who was also a woman and a woman of color doing doing it on this level. So I mean that that is a it's very important to me. That's wonderful. And I'm very happy you said at this level, because um, you
1: really become more visible. And um, I think it is hard to be in the spotlight. You know, it is isn't enough that you're just, you know, making these delicious desserts, but then you have to be out there and interviewed and on podcasts and but maybe if you think about the fact that you're really not just doing this for you, but um, as a way to reach so many others and to be an inspiration, and, and, and you really are. I haven't had the pleasure of reading the Essence article yet. The way I know about you um, is through that wonderful article in the New York Times that Priya Krishna had written about your family. And um, that's how I knew a little bit about Jamaica. Um, and the importance of Christmas and family. So that was, you know, really beautiful, Jessica. So you had uh, this wonderful experience of having a major feature article in Essence magazine, and also in the New York Times. Um, that's big. What did that mean to you or for you, and um, and and the future of you in this uh, industry and and other women?
0: Um as far as the new york times article is concerned i i didn't realize how big that was going to be <laughs> because when priya like approached me and she kind of asked me certain beginning questions and then she came back and then she was asking more questions about my mom and then like she she just kept asking these informal questions but when she finally got to my mom's house like everything was set up she got to my mom's house and she sat there and did the interview and with that It was awesome to kind of share something with my mom because, like, of course, my mom inspires me in almost every way. So to be able to let my mom tell her story, which, of course, my mom's story is my story, you know, Um, and to sit there and to be able to share my culture, um, our history as far as, you know, my mom moving from... Jamaica, West Indies to the United States, like it. I mean, that's it. It was such a a big thing, and and the big spread in the times as well. Because when <laughs> I bought the paper and I opened it, and I was like, "That wow, this is big."
1: <laughs> yeah, this I is, meant big. <laughs> Literally, this is a long
0: article. This is this is crazy, and I I wasn't quite sure the direction um, Priya was trying to go with it. Um, she did have a lot of follow-up questions. Priya was super thorough. Um, she had a lot of follow-up questions. Um, and, um, to relate that to even the Essence article, um, both were just such a big deal because I just, I just didn't realize, again, like how big and how far it would reach. Cause I, I had, um, I have a friend who works in Baltimore and, A chef colleague of hers, like posted the article about me and then she like tagged me on it and she's like, I know her. And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. She's like, no, you don't understand. I used to work with her. I know her. (laughs) Um, And when I think that was the first time someone reached out to me concerning the Essence article and I was like, oh, wow. And I remember texting my friend and I was just like, I didn't realize how far that reached. And she's like, Jessica's Essence. (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> what, what did you think and i'm like i don't know like i it, it's just very interesting because i i remember in the past talking to you know chef friends of mine and things like that and thinking about like my future and where i want to go in this industry and i've always said i don't think my story's that interesting but when i saw my story in paper i'm like that's that's actually really cool and interesting. Like if I read this about someone else, I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. And they've been through so much and all this stuff. And it's it's interesting how we don't necessarily think of ourselves as interesting. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. When, by the way, women especially.
1: Yes. So, um, again, I think for you, now that you're just – coming into the spotlight and and want to be comfortable with it. This story is about you, but it's also bigger than you, yes. right? And it has, I think you're someone who really wants to have impact and very positive impact. And again, being more like your mother's age, um, I was so taken with her story. I mean, your mother didn't have it easy. I mean, Priya, again, Priya Krishna is the author of the article. She has also been on this podcast. And... um, I know she's also very thorough, but it was such a rich story. I felt like I was reading a little like novella. It didn't feel like a newspaper story. It felt like a real human interest story. And I learned so much about another culture. So you get to
0: hold that and you get to be the spokesperson for that uh, as you go forward. Oh, for sure. And even in that whole process, I remember um, learning so much about my culture and my mom's story through the whole thing and one thing that i learned was that my great grandmother apparently was a butcher in jamaica wow and <laughs> huh. i remember when i was in culinary school i loved butchering that was like one of my favorite things to do i remember butchering um we had one class where we um i think we served like roasted leg of lamb as part of like our we had service classes where we had a restaurant on campus that we served. And I think I, I butchered the leg of lamb three days in a row. And I volunteered to do it the fourth day of class. And my chef instructor was like, Jessica, can you please give someone else a chance? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, but I want to French it. Let me French it. But And maybe you didn't
1: even know why. It was in your DNA. There was something. I mean, yeah. putting those pieces together is yeah. fabulous. For I sure. Love, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I have a feeling at some point you may break out of the pastry uh, section of the you know kitchen, too. You really may want to explore many things, even beyond sugar work and tempering chocolate well. Uh, who knows what's in ahead of you? It's very For exciting. Sure. I
0: mean, I, I love food. Period. Um, I feel like if I were to step back to the savory side, it would be on my own terms if I owned my own business. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. What? What? You know, a lot of people have a fantasy, of course, about you know you work for someone
1: else for a while, but the goal is, of course, to have your own for sure uh, bis- uh, business or restaurant. What would it be for you?
0: Um, I think initially when I like over the years when I've thought about my own business, I have definitely thought relatively small which i i would definitely want to start small but i mean i i kind of see myself having a bit of an empire
1: <laughs> <laughs> if everyone could see that seductive look on your face when you said that
0: okay um, and and by an empire i mean like i don't want a chain of the same thing everywhere I want maybe a cafe here, maybe a gelato or ice cream shop there, maybe a candy shop here. And then, you know what I mean? Just just a variety of things. But that also speaks to the kind of person I am because I do have interest in literally everything. So mm. I, I think I would probably end up coming up with some kind of recipe for business where I can tickle all those fancies that I have concerning <laughs> food because I, I really do enjoy doing everything. I love this notion of
1: a recipe for business. This is really, really good. Write that down. Don't, don't forget that. That's excellent. Um, so in a funny way, then you become sort of the Supra brand. So it's not Jessica the Pastry Chef, but it's uh, basically your art form and um, the way – an artist, right? An artist doesn't just do one kind of painting or drawing. So um, you would be creating, as you say, your little mini mini empire. Um so great. So I wish you so much luck with that. I have no no doubt that you will uh be very successful. So let's talk about your legacy recipe. I asked all my guests to bring one, but you have an
0: interesting little twist when I asked you what that <laughs> what that meant. Well, when when I saw um legacy recipe in quotes, I thought of a literal recipe and then I was thinking like a life recipe as far as mm. Like how you conduct yourself and maybe um, the legacy, especially if you use the word legacy, the legacy you want to leave behind, um, you know. But as far as like an actual recipe. Yes. So this is a recipe I have not executed at Lartuzzi, uh, mainly because of logistics, because um, I've I've actually wanted to put it on the recipe uh, on our menu. But there's... No way that we can actually put this dessert on our menu, but um banana fritters is something that mm. I have um come up with many moons ago, and it was funny when I did because I wanted to come up with something that reflected my heritage and reflect reflected my upbringing. And growing up, my mom used to make banana fritters all the time. She would um, take, if we had overripe bananas, or she would purposely buy bananas sometimes for this purpose. And she would just mash them, mix in some flour, um, pinch of salt, sugar. I'm trying to remember. I think she might have put a little bit of baking powder, but it was super simple. She would always eyeball it. She never, ever (laughs) measured. And it would come out similar almost every single time. And with that in mind, I just wanted to come up with, like, a fried fritter donut that wasn't necessarily the same exact thing, but, all like, an inspiration of. And so I tested this particular recipe upwards of probably, like, 10 times. I was driving. I think Mm. it was the sous chef that was in the kitchen that day. (laughs) And I had him try it every single time. I'm like, Justin, here's a new batch. And he's like, Jessica, Still tastes like bananas. I don't understand <laughs> what I'm looking for until I did hit the nail on the head because I what ultimately the flavor profile that I was looking for was like deep fried banana bread. Mm. Was mm-hmm. essentially what I was going for. Like it like if you were to have a banana bread or a banana muffin in fried form, that's what this fritter is. So. It sounds wonderful. Jessica, I can't
1: help <laughs> myself, but this is what I do for a living. So I have the, an idea for you, right? So if you took this banana fritter idea from your past, and of course, you like to use allspice, so put some allspice in. But if you thought a little bit more in the Italian way and thought about banana like bombolini, mm-hmm. and then maybe did uh, had a dipping sauce of a zabayon mm-hmm. with a little bit of marsala or grappa in it, or rum. Sorry, let's let's get the flavors right. So you have a banana bombolini with a zabayone that has some rum in it. Bestseller. Okay, and maybe this is the dessert in honor of Marietta. Getting yes. back to Artusi's. Yes. Um, Bring it full circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for sure. and, but now you really have me so curious. Thank you for your legacy recipe, the one we eat. But now let me hear about your legacy recipe for life
0: well i think I think my legacy recipe for life is just not that I'm trying to live myself for other people but to to bring it back and trying to be a role- role model and especially for women and women of color um just living life in such a way that you're making a way for other people behind you I think is um a great um recipe to go by, whether it be. I'm I feel like I'm not the best teacher, even though I know people learn from me, but I, I'm I'm more of a one-on-one teacher than like maybe teaching a room full of people. Um but definitely being a role model and mentor and just creating a path so that people behind me can also possibly do what I do and even do it even better. It's beautiful. So in that spirit uh, what
1: does one woman kitchen mean to you?
0: In the course of my career, there hasn't been like a whole lot of women in the kitchen and especially women in a position of power, especially. Um. So like one woman kitchen to me is just like women creating their power. Mm hmm. You know, like like just getting to a place where maybe we don't have to talk about this anymore. <laughs> this you know great. what I mean? Like where it's just less of like a taboo to have like a female chef in a position of authority. You know, like it's it's just you know like having more women in positions of power. It's it's just more of a norm. Wonderful. Jessica,
1: thank you. And how can we follow you?
0: Oh, well, um I'm on Instagram. Um Jessica Craig. Uh Jessica Craig, but my handle is DA Chocolate Chef. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> CJ Chocolate Chef. DA. DA Co- Chocolate Chef. DA okay. Chocolate Chef um 84 on Instagram. Um I forget my Twitter handle right now, but I'm I'm less active on Twitter. You're you're mm-hmm. more likely to find things about me on on Instagram for sure. Wonderful. And will we find a lot of your dessert creations on Instagram? Yes. I I I try to be mindful and post on a regular basis.
1: (laughs) Can't wait. And I can't wait to see those banana bombolini (laughs) with the side of Zabayon.
0: Yes, I'll get working (laughs) on that for sure.
1: (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much. And I think you really are your own one woman kitchen even right now. Thank you. But good luck in the future. Thank you so much for joining me in my kitchen. And until next week, this is Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the
1: business of lifestyle.